we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are two years, 10 months, and 13 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, Marty Foster. Marty, we'll start with you. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Apart from I do have a bit of a seasonal cold. I've got a nose like Mr. McCorber at the moment, all red and shiny, bit late for Christmas, but, uh, you know, other than that, good. How are you guys? Oh, I'm healthy and alive. I'm uh, doing well. And if I felt any better, it wouldn't be legal. So you keep telling us. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to talk today about psychological safety, but I'm not sure that I want to get into that just yet. As per, you only get your one day a week, Marty. And, you know, it's a real shame because we'd love to have you on more often. But uh, I know you're awfully busy. But um, what has been on your mind this week? We'll take our cue from you and then we'll roll into that whenever we get around to it, because there's plenty to discuss there. Uh, there's a couple of things. Apparently, uh, we are now at the lowest point in the production of new vehicles in the United Kingdom for 50 years. So, or since, no, sorry, 66 years were at the lowest point in the production of vehicles. And um, I saw a, a map earlier on the news of all of the planned and the existing electric car battery uh, manufacturers in Europe. And the UK did have two, but one of them has miraculously gone bust. In in a business where you'd expect um, it to be an absolute boom, considering that um, all fossil fuel-powered uh, vehicles will be banned by 2030, perhaps. Well, that's or what Or the they manufacture say, of new ones, Manufacturing and, and sale of new ones, yes. Yeah. So how can something that everyone's going to need... Uh, how, how can a firm go bust? Looking at across the map of Europe, there's plenty in Germany, plenty in Northern Europe. At first, when I saw the map, I didn't think there were any in France, but there is one in Northern France uh, producing these batteries. But what made me particularly irate was some spokesman for the injury, uh, injury industry. It is an injury. It's an injury to our rights. So that was a bit of a Freudian slip there. But yeah, this guy was saying, you know, it's what everybody wants. No, it is not what everybody wants. It is what is being forced upon us. So yeah, that that's that's one of the things that's um, piqued my interest and ire this week. Something that's amused me, not that rape is an amusing subject in any way, shape or form, but a convicted rapist who has transitioned and identified as a woman, will not be serving their uh, sentence now that they have been sentenced in a woman's prison, which is where they were currently being held. They will, in fact, spend their sentence in a male population prison. Um, so they are going to, uh, uh, you know, be very popular. And uh, I'm sure that they're going to get more sex than they ever expected. What I did enjoy most about the whole thing is it, it's happened in Scotland and with the wee cranky woman trying to make all kinds of um, ridiculous changes to the law who actually got it through the Scottish Parliament 
but it was later voted down by Westminster. So, yeah, Jeanette Cranky had to stand up today and um, and say that this prisoner would be uh, put into a male population prison. So I quite enjoyed that uh, that spectacle. If you I just get- so happen, I just so happen to have a uh, a clip of the uh, the head of operations for the Scottish Prison Service. If you'd like for me to play it on this subject, that'd be good. Why would it be that someone who is biologically male and has been convicted of rape would be taken to a women's prison? So um, any transgender person who is admitted into custody um, is admitted into the establishment um, that matches their identified gender that they were living in within the community. So at the moment, does the prison service look for a gender recognition certificate or is it just how the the prisoner chooses to identify themselves? It's how they choose to identify um, and how they've been living in the community. Can you understand why people will have concerns about that, particularly in the case of sex offenders? Absolutely. Um, However, there is a robust risk assessment process that the prison service will go through. So just because someone has been admitted into a particular prison does not mean that that will be their prison of allocation following that risk assessment. So we're just basing this on whatever someone says and it's not a handed down arbitrary sentence as it's always been. So now we have to look at risk assessments before we make decisions. We look at robust risk assessment systems. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, robust risk assessments. That is, um, that's one of the words that uh, hits hits the scoreboard on bullshit bingo quite often in business speak. Oh, you've got a robust process. Um, it, yeah, it's one of those those new speak phrases. Obviously, the word robust just means that it can stand up to a lot of punishment uh, and is fairly uh, hard-wearing. It doesn't really fit in this circumstance, does it? What they want is a fail-safe process to make sure that they're not putting somebody who is capable of further sex crimes into a prison full of potential victims. This is the era that we're living in, though, unfortunately. I mean, that's that's just the way that, uh, that this agenda is being pushed. I know you started this conversation with electric cars, but uh, let's be honest, you can't have one of these uh, cogs in this wheel without the rest of it because it's all playing to the same thing. It's all being pushed from the same place. I also have a, a clip here of, uh, what did you call Sturgeon? What would you call her? Jeanette Cranky. Jeanette Cranky. The Cranky woman. Yeah, Yeah. I I have a clip of her today uh, in Parliament. Uh, And it turns out she is uh, she confirms that uh, against her own rulings, uh, biological man, this individual that's in question here, uh, will not be sent to an all women's prison. Given the understandable public and parliamentary concern in this case, I can confirm to Parliament that this prisoner will not be incarcerated at Corton Vale Women's Prison. And I hope that provides assurance to the public presiding officer, not least to the victims in this particular case. Yeah, and she's she's a very good actress, is the cranky woman, because you couldn't see the absolute disappointment which she must be feeling on her face because she's the one that's been pushing these crazy, woke policies through in Scotland. But thankfully, we are the United Kingdom, and though we have got devolved governments in Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland, at the end of the day, it's the MPs in Westminster which are representing the entire country, the, the whole of the United Kingdom, that have stopped her. So for once the government seems to be doing the right thing. So there's always mistrust from me and Bruce, for that matter, and your good self when it comes to the government actually appearing to do the right thing. I don't uh, I don't trust any of these people uh, at all, uh, to be fair. And more than that, and I suppose we can we can move on here unless you've got is there something else that's bothering you, perhaps? I tell you what, before before we get to this, do you want to do you want to talk about your uh, your assessment? You saw you you didn't you, you weren't here yesterday, obviously, when we played it, but I played the video for you uh, in prep of uh, Demar Hamlin showing up at the NFL uh, playoff game of Buffalo against uh, Cincinnati. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I. I'd strongly advise our listeners to have a look at the video and make their own mind up. But 
it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I've seen some weird things. Why, if the idea was to lift the team and the fans' spirits by showing their their player, who tragically had a heart attack right there on the field, you know, by him just showing his face at at the at the football ground um, to lift everybody's spirits. Why did they bring him in with a hood, you know, a hooded jacket with a hood up, dark glasses, a scarf round his mouth, uh, a mother and a brother who looked that just the look in their eyes was kind of what well, was haunting, really. There, there was there was something wrong with the way his mother and his younger brother looked, as well as whoever that was in that coat, because it certainly wasn't the poor chap who had a heart attack. Because if it was, he'd have shown his face. Some of the players are publicly stating today on other podcasts that they're on, they're saying that um, they feel like there's something that's wrong with this, and they're not sure what. That we're not sure what's wrong, but something's wrong thing. That, that's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? They know exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah. what's wrong. It's like when all of us say, oh, I don't know. We do know. <laughs> we do know, um, but we're afraid of being sued for saying what we're thinking mm-hmm. um, half the time, When particularly when Ned or I end a sentence with, well, I don't know, though. We do know. Yeah, we know. Yeah, <laughs> we do know. I was thinking on this today. And it goes back to what you were saying about distrust of government and and what you're saying now, actually. So let's just combine the two because it it follows along with what I was thinking this afternoon. And that is, do you know, I'm just I'm sick of just being lied to. I'm sick of uh, of these people just outright insulting my intelligence. Just tell people what the hell's going on. But see, they can't. They can't. And the reason they cannot is because if they were to do that in any capacity, especially at this juncture, if they were to do that, they would be running for the hills because people would go after them, I think. Well, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Although Keir Starmer, leader of the, the UK opposition... You had to say it, didn't you? You had to say that name. Now I have to go pull what he said the other day, but go ahead. Yeah. And this this is amazing. If 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 it's the interview where the the interviewer asks him to choose between two things, is that the one? Yeah, that that's is the, the one. one. Yeah, yeah, you might uh, as you might yeah. as well just play it because here okay. is a politician telling the truth for once. I got it right here. It's the truth as he sees it. It's not the the truth that it should be. It's not the way it should be. But this is how. He sees this situation or this choice. You are a busy man and we're going to let you go. You've got a lot to do, but we'll end on a quick fire because obviously we wouldn't be a podcast without a quick fire. So um, let us just ask you quickly. You have to choose now between Davos or Westminster. Davos. Why? (laughs) Because Westminster is too constrained um, and, you know, it's closed and we're not having meaning. Once you get out of Westminster, whether it's Davos or anywhere else, you actually engage with people um, that you can see working with in the future. Westminster is just a, a tribal shouting place. Um, you're an Arsenal fan. I'm going to give you two, the names of two diehard Arsenal fans and you've got to who, choose who you'd rather sit next to. Piers Morgan or Jeremy Corbyn? Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was quick. That was quick. <laughs> that was very quick. Yeah. The fact that he said Davos and Piers Morgan is enough to raise any kind of a red flag. It is. And this is the cockwomble we have in charge of our opposition. He is as much a globalist as as Schwab is himself. And he couldn't punch the skin off a rice pudding, as you're now oh, showing. Come on, Marty. Look at him work that heavy bag in that in that gym right there. Look at that. <laughs> Vote Labour. Well if that's if that's the the power of Labour's punches, no wonder they've always done so badly in in recent years. I want or wanted our country to have a strong opposition because it's the only way you can hold the the government that's in power to account. They have to feel under threat to do the right thing. And when Johnson got that massive majority, what he had was another World Economic Forum puppet sat on the opposite bench. So it becomes, do you have them? Do you have Punch and Judy shows in the States? 
Punch and Judy is is a is a, a seaside entertainment. Traditionally, it's a story about a drunken um, wife beating uh, clown called Punch, his wife called Judy, the crocodile, some sausages, and a policeman. And it's a puppet show. I can't say that we and, have anything like that, but um, I mean, I, I don't think you need any kind of a puppet show. When you go to a beach in America, you can see quite a few interesting people there. Well, you see, the thing is, most of the beaches that are popular in America are, are the ones further south around, you know, California, Miami, east and west, the bits where the sun shines. Here in the UK, when we get two days of sunshine per year, um, if you're at the beach, you also need some form of entertainment because quite often at the height of summer, it's too cold to take your clothes off and get in the water. I'm glad you brought up the beach because I meant to ask you this in the opening and I, I completely forgot about it until right now. And that is, I would like for you to explain not only to Bruce, because I think I might have botched it, but to all of the listeners across the world, exactly how you broke every statistic in the known universe when you went fishing a few weeks ago. It was absolutely uncanny. We were just fishing off the beach locally, uh, night fishing, and um, one of the younger, more inexperienced fishermen lost a line. So we... Rigged him up with another, you know, trace, two hooks, weight, swivel, that kind of thing. And he cast out again. Now, mind you, um, I'm sorry to interject, but just so the listener understands, this is in the ocean. This is not exactly in like a small stream. This is in oh, no, seawater. It's, it's, it's in the sea. Yeah, yeah. it's in seawater. And we're casting out as far as we possibly can. And basically, he then lost that line. So we rigged him up a third trace swivel two hooks weight and he cast out again a bit later on he's got a bite so he pulls in the fish it's only a small dogfish little baby shark type fish but attached to that wrapped around its tail is the first hook that he'd lost sorry the first trace that he'd lost so we've recovered that that's good news there's no there's no fishing line and hooks just floating about in the sea we've got it back in and that's what we like to do we don't like to leave trash everywhere a bit later i got a bite pulled in but my hook or my hooks and my weight came in first but there's still something on the end and it turned out to be the second trace that he'd lost with a fish on it as well so we recovered all our tackle and caught a, a fish that we had to share between us because it was on his tackle but i pulled it in on my rod so yeah it, it was a, a night of extremely rare and quite amazing chance shall we say amazing chance he says you could not replicate that again if you tried if any statistician or or a person that deals in any kind of figures like that if they were to sit down and work that out the possibilities of that happening it's got to be in the trillions or, or quadrillions it's just not possible I, I would have thought it's very strong uh, or very high improbability of it happening to recover all of the lost tackle and catch fish on the lost tackle as well. It's just not possible. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just, well, it's not. I did catch a fish once uh, quite deep off the quarter deck of my ship while we're in the Caribbean. And when it came up, it actually exploded or imploded. I'm not sure which one. I think it exploded because the this pressure inside the fish. Yeah, yeah. The pressure inside the fish was such uh, to maintain it at depth. And when I brought it to the surface, that internal internal pressure caused so much sushi to be rapidly spread around. Um, but, Poor thing. you know, all British sailors like to fish, not because they necessarily enjoy eating fish or because they enjoy the hobby. It's back in those days, we used to have um, Hong Kong Chinese laundrymen on each of the destroyers, uh, frigates and if you caught them fish and took them the fish they would give you money off your off your laundry bill so um as soon as i every chance i got i was on the quarter deck fishing it's and have caught some weird and wonderful fish which these guys doesn't matter what they look like what the fish is they will eat it 
That's a fair trade. I, I actually I like that that uh, little um, setup that you had going there. That's uh, that's pretty good. That's the it, that's it the does, economy. It doesn't act. happen anymore now, unfortunately, because um, all of the new ships have got um, self service laundries where mm-hmm. the the guys and girls on board go and do their own dobeying. That's the that's a dobe is a an Urdu word meaning to wash, which is in general military parlance. Well, I suppose we should get to the uh, the second part of what you mentioned there. And I, I just happen to have all of these things that are lined up from the things that you just happened to mention. That's what makes these conversations, these organic conversations, I guess, uh, so interesting. And that is, I have Boris Johnson. Uh, Boris Johnson, after his trip to uh, to Davos, you know, he went to that Ukrainian breakfast with, um, uh, who was there? Uh, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands and uh, and a few other people. They, they were there at that Ukrainian breakfast in Davos at the, uh, the World Economic Forum. Well, Boris Johnson decided that he was going to um, pay a trip to Zelensky in Kiev. And this is how it went. The former prime minister um, has said uh, that he uh, was invited to Ukraine by President Zelensky, and that his visit was at the invitation of the Ukrainian presidency, um, and that his message is that Ukraine will win and Putin must fail. Um, and essentially, it's just to demonstrate solidarity um, with the people um of Ukraine. Um, now, uh, the quote that we've been given is uh, Boris Johnson saying that it's a privilege to visit Ukraine at the invitation of President Zelensky. The suffering of the people of Ukraine has gone on for too long, and the only way to end this war is for Ukraine um, to win. Now, we were told that or understood that after leaving number 10, Mr. Johnson wanted to make this section of foreign policy of Ukraine really one of his interests. I think it's probably viewed as one of the high points um, of his time in Downing Street, um, essentially being heavily involved and at the front of the Western response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So not necessarily a surprise that he's over there. I think in terms of domestic politics, um, though, it will maybe be seen as uh, Boris Johnson attempting to muscle in on this pretty crucial part of foreign policy that, of course, now falls to Rishi Sunak to play a big part. Uh, and I did see that uh, you guys are not only going to be sending uh, some of your uh, brimstone missiles, you guys are now talking about sending some uh, uh, some battle tanks over there as well. Well, I certainly am not talking about it. And if it were up to me, they would get uh, nothing. In fact, I wouldn't give them the steam off my to corner a very vulgar phrase. We've got this ironic situation that very soon... Nazis, for that is what the majority of his paramilitary that has now become his military actually are, will soon be driving German leopard tanks towards Russia. And quite shamefully, they may well be accompanied by possibly the best battle tank in the world, Stamfast, uh, Russia's claim to their um, Armada, or or whatever it's called, Challenger 2 tanks. It's disgusting. It's the only the only outcome that's acceptable is for Ukraine to win. You know, win what exactly? Uh, win a win a peace where their population's been decimated by bombing raids and missile strikes, or negotiate with Putin and settle it one way or another, where everyone gains. But that won't happen because they want to keep this war going. It's a proxy war. It's Korea. It's Vietnam. It's Cambodia. It's all of these. Yeah. Well, Afghanistan, um, Afghanistan. Iraq. Well, it's proxy and, and I find wars. it. I find it. Uh, I find it rather funny that they, like the Germans, say, "Okay, well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna deliver some uh, some Leopard two tanks." Okay, but they're not gonna get there until the end of March. I was making the point yesterday. Let me see. Uh, Germany, Ukraine. That's Chicago to New York. It's going to take you four months to get tanks to to theater. That's ridiculous. The thing is, it can be whatever tank you like. In fact, why do you think the T-72 is so popular amongst so many countries that have been palling up to Russia all all these years? T-72s are probably the most prolific tank on um, on the face of the earth. And the reason being is... They're really simple to operate. They are agricultural and they're they're quite effective for a very basic piece of technology. Challenger 2, Leopard 2 are complex vehicles. They've got extremely complex communications and command systems. The weapon aiming system, you know, it takes a lot of training. So either 
they've already been training the tank crews in the respective countries that are giving them these tanks, or they're just being delivered a load of hardware that is absolutely no use to them. I've been informed through a few friends who are in the know that we have been training Ukrainian troops in the UK for quite some time. And I'm pretty sure they're being trained in Germany and elsewhere. Yeah, they're being trained here by Americans, I might add. Yeah. So, you know, these vehicles are only any use to someone or to crews who have been trained in those vehicles. And here's something interesting. We were talking about this behind the scenes yesterday, and it's it'd be interesting to get your take on it. Obviously, no, we're not going to get down into anything that's you know not public. But um, are you guys developing? I mean, because we would know this, I, I think, or at least uh, we would have rumblings of it, or it would be uh, kind of just mentioned out there that this is the kind of thing that they're working on because you just you really don't. I mean, obviously, you don't get the specifications, but you could know as the average public that this is being worked on. We were talking about the the Abrams tank, uh, the the M1 Abrams tank. We've been producing those since. What'd you say, Bruce? It was ninety one. Was uh, was the uh, last eighties? The eighties. Okay, so it's the eighties. Yeah. But you said like ninety one mm-hmm. was the last time, or ni- ninety one to ninety two was the last time we we started rolling them off of the production line. We've been retrofitting them ever since. I was looking at the manufacturing, and the last manufacturing plant here in the United States was in Detroit, and that closed down in nineteen ninety six. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but we're not. So, yeah. My point. Yeah. But the point we were discussing, though, was is we're not at least as far as we know, we're not developing a new tank. The Germans are developing a new tank, uh, the Panther. It's due to arrive. Uh, they've already built three of them uh, and they're due to arrive sometime in the next, I think, three to five years. The Russians supposedly are building their uh, their armadas. But if they're building them, then not even the, the people that are in uh, like top positions of, of authority know that it's happening. Uh, because they've said, you know, they've told people behind the scenes, leaked it to uh, their sources here in the West and say, we don't know where they're doing it, if they're doing it. Uh, But they've built at least six that we know of. But that's not even to say that they're even fully operational. The French, they're still doing their, is it the Leclerc, Leclerc, whatever the hell it's called? Leclerc, yeah. Leclerc, yeah. They still have those. You guys, like, are you guys or or the French or or anybody, I mean, we know that that the Russians and the Germans are working on new tanks. Are you guys working on any new ones? We're not, to to the best of our knowledge. To my knowledge, to my knowledge, no. No. And and the reason the answer to that is, well, is is it crazy or... Is it just the way that arms races go? The main battle tank's place on the battlefield has been made irrelevant because you've now got AUVs, drones, that can easily dispose of a big, slow-tracked vehicle. And when I say slow, some of these um, main battle tanks can do up to 60, 60, 70 kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's slow. Uh, and and a, a drone, even if it's just illuminating the target, even if it's just painting that target, means that a missile system possibly 120 miles away can be aimed and fired and will take out those tanks. So they, they become obsolete. They're, they've been superseded. The type of vehicle that, you know, the, the modern armed forces around the West, at least, are developing are quite well armed. They're lightly armoured, but they are more concealable and faster and more easily deployed. You need a whole lot of logistics to get a a battalion of tanks into theatre, whereas four-wheeled off-road vehicles that are armoured, that have got specially shaped hulls to deflect, you know, mines and improvised explosive devices... All of those things make much more sense than a main battle tank. Yeah, and I'm just running some footage here uh, on the screen behind me so you can see. This is the new Panther tank that the uh, that the Germans are building. We were going through some of the specifications on this, and, and these things, I, I have to say, they're quite impressive, to say the least. They have the ability to be an, like an all-in-one command center for everything on the battlefield. Yeah, basically, ships have a system of... British ships and American ships have a system called Link. And what Link allows to happen is that one ship's sensors can detect a target, pass that information to another ship, which will fire its weapon at the target 
the the, the sending ship has, has given them. And again, these tanks, if one thing can see something on the battlefield, everything can see it, right down to the individual soldiers as well, with heads-up displays and the ability to see everything that's happening within a given distance. So, you know, they, they are command centres, and it will swap. So when that one gets hit by a, a missile and destroyed... All of the information is already in the in the second tank in the in the platoon or, or whatever with equal capability of of acting as that command center. And if you're wanting to know why that conflict in Ukraine is not going to stop and they're going to continue to escalate it, this is why. It is obvious that American business can become the locomotive that will once again push forward global economic growth. We have already managed to attract attention and have cooperation with such giants of the international financial and investment world as BlackRock, JP Morgan, and Golden Sachs, such American brands as Starling or Westinghouse have already become part of our Ukrainian way. Your brilliant defense systems such as HIMARS or Bradley's are already uniting our history of freedom with your enterprises. We are waiting for patriots. We are looking closely at Abrams. Thousands of such examples are possible and everyone can become a big business by working with Ukraine in all sectors, from weapons and defense to construction, from communication to agriculture, from transport to IT, from banks to medicine. And I believe that freedom must always win. So you want to know why that war is not ending? There you go. Yeah. Well, just forget Ukraine for just a moment. Look at what happened with Iraq. Iraq invaded Kuwait. The world got together and kicked Iraq out of Kuwait and could have then pressed on to finish off uh, the Republican Guard and Saddam Hussein very, very quickly. But they didn't. They left that guy, that lunatic, in charge for another 10 years. During those 10 years, all of the allied Gulf states bought an absolute f ton of military hardware from all of the Western companies. It's happening again. Everyone's getting their, their share. We, we, it, it's an evil triumvirate. You've got banks, you've got arms, and then you've got Big Pharma. There, there's a fourth one in there. The fourth horseman is energy companies. And they're all getting their turn. So Big Pharma's had its pandemic. The banks are pissing themselves with glee because they're about to get a, a reset where they can write off all of their mistakes and turn everything digital. The weapons companies, yeah, the arms companies are selling more hardware now than they ever have. And then you've got, what was the other one? The energy companies. The energy companies are charging what the f*** they like, sorry about the beeps, for stuff that, that should be affordable and reasonable for everyone to to be able to have benefit of it. So that's what's happening with Ukraine. That's why it won't stop until it has to stop, kind of, and they'll pick somewhere else instead for this the, the next proxy war to be fought. So we know what they did in China after the end of the war, right? 49, they put Mao in charge. So we know what they did there. They built the society from the ground up. In this sense, what I'm about to talk about as a beta test, to build an authoritarian society from the ground up using communism, Marxism, right? That's what they did. This time, since China's collapsing, you see, they're done with China. Oh, yeah. Make no mistake. They're done with China. Now they need to start it somewhere else. What better place than Ukraine to build the new digital totalitarian society that Klaus Schwab talks about? Listen. Let's look eight years ahead. 2030. The history of the new Ukraine is studied all over the globe. Why? 
because Ukraine became the most digital and convenient country in the world. Scripps have replaced bureaucrats. 500,000 former public servants are successfully integrated in the new economy. No more red tape, but paperless. No more banknotes, but cashless. Yes, we became the first country to abandon paper money. Ukraine now has the best tax system for the IT industry and the most affordable e-residency. Thanks to Ukrainian engineers and programmers, the R&D centers of the world's top technology companies operate successfully, and Ukraine ranks first in the world by the number of startups per capita. Ukrainian courts are guided by artificial intelligence, and all notarial acts take place online. Ukrainian customs is fully automatic and the fastest in the world. Customs clearance and car registration can now be done in three clicks from your smartphone. Because of war and internal migration, we have built the most flexible and modern digital education. Brave military and civilians get quality treatment with modern remote monitoring and e-health systems. Ukraine also has the most effective cyber defense in the world. After the horrors of 2022, Ukraine focused on security systems. Now every production facility has its air defense system, and the sleep of Ukrainians is protected by an ultra-modern iron dome. The Ukrainian government is digital, more like an IT company in terms of the efficiency of implementing decisions, and one can register a land plot, start construction, open a business or get a license, and register a car or real estate from a smartphone automatically in one click. Ukraine is the freest and digital. This is all because international partners and the world's leading technology companies supported the Digital for Freedom initiative and united to help Ukraine recover through digitalization. Building a new Ukraine together, free and the fastest, brave and digital. Does that not sound like the end goal for what Zelensky was just advocating for by those investors? Yeah, but the bit that Zelensky and Schwab are not saying is these things only work with about 10% of the current population of each of these countries. Anything more than that, and you're into Harari territory of these useless people. Mm-hmm. So this is the fight we're in. It's good to know that you're in a fight, and it's great if you can identify what the enemy is. And that, I think, is most people's problem today. They don't realize they're in a fight, and they have no clue what the enemy is planning because they're not being told about it other than through sources like ourselves. And on the face of it, that sounds an absolutely wonderful set of circumstances, but you've got to understand just like with um, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals of Agenda 2030 from the United Nations, all of it requires industry in the West, in the industrialised countries, to be torn down and moved elsewhere, where either they are going to have it all automated or done by people who are willing to accept a much lower remuneration for their work. And that's that's the situation we're in. we're in. We are at war for our very existence because they will not need all of us useful people. Use, yeah, we are useful. Use, we are Another useful, Freudian yeah. slip in the, in the right direction that time. But they won't need us if they manage to pull this plan off. Sounds to me like you are craving psychological safety. Is that what you're doing? Psychological security, you say? Safety. Not security, safety. Safety, I see. Psychological safety. You need psychological safety. I know that one of your favorite demographics, Marty, are the young, woke, how do you call them? Libtards? Libtards. Libtards, that's it, yes. So I, I know... I know that you have a soft spot for them. You know, just like the Just Stop Oil people, I I know that you have a soft spot for them. The, um, uh, what's that other one? Uh, There's another one in the UK. What is it? Uh, Insulate Britain, uh, that one. And then there's, and there's a third spinoff. Extinction Rebellion. That's the one. Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. You got a soft spot for these people. I know. And to your earlier point there about this going digital and everything, and all these companies are going to have to uproot. Oh yeah, they're going to move. Yeah, they're going to move yet again. You see, they're not going to be in China much longer. They might have a couple of offices here and there, sure. But like I said, they're pretty much done with that. They're going to move to the new location, which is going to be in Ukraine if they have their way about it. And guess what? They don't need you anymore. 
I've been saying that all week. They don't need you anymore. They made you go to a university and get a degree that you don't need to work in a job that you hate, to buy things that you don't need, to impress people you don't know and you don't like. Somebody tell me that this makes sense, because it certainly does not. But they've saddled you with all this debt, and they've brought you up in a fake culture. And now that these companies, I believe Google had a vaccine mandate, did they not, Bruce? Did they have a vaccine mandate? Facebook, these, these tech companies, I, th uh, I thought they had one. I'm actually not sure, because we had Zuckerberg saying that uh, the vaccines were questionable. Yeah, but he was telling that to his own staff internally, his his personal staff. Yeah. He wasn't telling that to, to the employees, I don't think. Let's see. Well, it, while you're looking that up, Google has decided to fire. Uh, is it 12,000 or is it 18,000? Whatever. It's in the it's in the tens of thousands, right? Amazon. They did. They did have a mandate. OK, so the employees have been fully vaccinated. Uh-huh. And you notice that now they're being fired after they've after they've already taken that. You see, this is how good you had it. Right. This is how good you had. It. This is how much you were thumbing your nose up at everybody else that didn't have the job that you had. I've got a compilation here of just a few of some of the best ones. These are some of the best employees. This was a Twitter employee. Listen to how good of a job that she had before she was fired. This is the Elon Musk thing. I mean, this is kind of not really related, but it is at the same time because that's what started the wave. You know, they can they can push that off onto Twitter. Right. Well, uh, they got rid of all these employees, but it's not just relegated to Twitter. We're going to look at a Twitter employee. We're going to look at a Google employee. And I believe, let me see. Yeah, that was Google. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a Facebook employee, all of which have now been fired. This is the before. Welcome to a day in my life as a Twitter employee. So this past week went to SF for the first time at a Twitter office, badged in. Honestly, took a moment to just soak everything in. What a blessing. Also started my morning off with an iced matcha from the perch. Then I had a meeting, so quickly scheduled one of these little pod rooms, which were so cool. They're literally noise canceling. Took my meeting, got ready for lunch. Look how delicious this food Looks. Oh my goodness, I was so overwhelmed. Then made my way down to this log cabin area. I don't know what this is, but it was really cool. Played some foosball with my friends to kind of unwind a bit. Um, also found this really cool meditation room that I thought was super neat. Um, I didn't do any yoga, but they have this yoga room if you are a yogi. So also thought that was really cool. Um, had a couple more meetings in the afternoon had a ton of projects that we needed to knock out say hey to my teammates um <laughs> went to the went to the library to kind of get some more work done obviously had to have our afternoon coffee so made some espresso and then before leaving for the day had some red wine um that's on tap went up to the rooftop and just honestly enjoyed the beautiful weather so awesome trip you know, I played this for a buddy of mine. He's a government contractor. I will not say for who or which company, but uh, he's as soon as he saw that, he said, I would fire everybody in the building and have the entire plot bulldozed by tomorrow morning. He's a man of taste and uh, good ideas. Indeed, he is. So that was the day in the life of a Twitter employee. OK, this is a day in the life of a Facebook employee. We went and looked up her, uh, her profile on LinkedIn. By the way, she got fired. This is Riley Ro uh, Royas, Rojas, whatever she says here. She's excited to announce that she'll be moving to uh, Menlo Park in January to start full time as a product manager at Facebook. So this is actually her. This is her day at Facebook. Day in the life as a 23 year old product manager at Meta. I always journal in the morning. I then do a quick workout routine. I get dressed. I try to look cute every day. Got some food at the office. I make a coffee every single morning. I need that. I did some work on the roof, worked until lunch and then ate up there. Here's me being cute. I got a snack always. I then shuttled home. The view's so pretty. Met up with some friends for dinner and then my boyfriend came over and was acting like a DJ for my dog. Okay. So that's a day in the life of a Facebook employee. Marty, you don't look impressed. You don't look impressed by these these people that that are employed and working hard, I might add, at these tech companies for you. I'm just just formulating what I'm going to say afterwards. So no, I, I'm I'm not exactly impressed. These are not real jobs. Oh, they are right. not real. Well, jobs. Well, yeah, well, yes, they are. They they say they say so. They got hired. They're getting paid six figures for each one of these jobs. You see how hard they work, right? This. Oh yeah. 
is, uh, what is this? This is a Google one. Uh, this is another one who was bragging about how she has a 23 year. She's 23 years old. She's living in New York. And oh, my goodness, it's so stressful. It is so stressful shopping after work, after that hard day. So stressful shopping on Fifth Avenue in New York. Welcome to a day in my life as a 23-year-old living in New York City and working at Google. Here's my outfit for the day, cute little fall fit. Immediately when I went to work, I got some breakfast. I got a ginger shot and this Eggs Benedict, which was absolutely delicious. Then I did two interviews for the full-time APMM program, which was hilarious because both of the people who I interviewed followed me, did some work, and then went to the dentist, which is across the street from the office. I had to get a fill-in, and luckily my dentist was kind enough to fit me in. Came back to work, finished my day around 5, and then got a coffee and walked over to Fifth Avenue because I needed to make a return at Zara. And then I went to Aritzia because I needed to get some winter essentials because it is getting cold. So I got this amazing little puffer jacket and this cute little red dress. When I was done shopping, I realized I was super close to my favorite Thai restaurant. So I got some Pad Siu from Thai Villa and then took a cab uptown to Penn Station because the Long Island Railroad was going to get me to Jamaica faster ran for my train like when i tell you sprinted because i needed to make it home in time to record an episode of eli rollo's podcast and that's it the end again marty you, you don't you don't look impressed Th this poor woman was fired how can you be so heartless how's that oh possible dear. i was sad never mind oh no oh. now the good now thing is the good yeah, thing go is the good thing is right this whole digital tiktok meta world that these useless world people have have been involved in the creation of has got jobs for all three of them all three of them can now go straight into fans only they will be exposing their hoo-hahs and doing <laughs> things to themselves <laughs> at the request of complete strangers online and they've created this world so good luck to them they're, they'll still be get they'll be getting more than six figures They'll be getting huge amounts on, of, uh, on, of revenue. On. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That that was. I, I guess maybe I shouldn't have played that one. That that poor young lady. She was she was just explaining her day. I guess outside of the office. I mean, she didn't really go into too much as what she does in Google. This one does. This one you might like. Maybe this one will convince you a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Well. I've got an open mind. Working from the Google LA office. I always grab some candy from the reception before heading in. This used to be an old aircraft hangar, so the decorations hanging from the ceiling kind of looks like an aircraft flying in. Before it was a Google office, this aircraft hangar belonged to Howard Hughes, so there's tons of memorabilia. Next, I'm going to pass by these art installations. They're a really good photo op, or you can sit in there and get some work done. I'm going to head to the coffee shop to grab some coffee and a fruit cup since I missed breakfast, and then I'm heading over to this butterfly-themed room to take my first meeting. Then I'm going to head over to the confetti room to take my next meeting. It's so sparkly and beautiful in here. I love that a lot of our rooms are themed. Then I'm going to grab my two favorite drinks, which is this green tea and coconut water. Next, I'm going to go upstairs and grab some lunch. They always have pizza and a variety of different vegetables and meat. The food is always really good. And of course, everything you see in the office is free. On my way out of the cafe, I ran into a doogler, which is a dog googler, and ran into some ghosts. When they were renovating the office, there were a lot of spooky stories from the crew. So there's a whole area in the office where you can listen to them. Then I got more work done and headed over to the massage chairs to wrap up my day. Let me know what you want to see next. There you go. Let me know what you want to see next on you fans only. That's you where it's going to be. <laughs> now, Marty, these people, they've they've been fired. You, you see, I couldn't don't... give a fat rat's ass that they've been fired. They were fed a, an absolute feed of crap about what life should be in this digital world and they wasted their money on an education that wasn't really an education it was an indoctrination and now they are royally fucked. oh dear another beep because they are really the useless people uh -huh. they've got one function now and that function is most degrading but they'll do it because that'll be the next step Psychological safety. That's what the well, remaining the Google employees are asking for because they, they just they don't know how they're going to be able to deal with it. They say in lieu of potential uh, job cuts, they're asking for psychological safety. They were asking this to the to the CEO of Google. I'm just going to quote one of the questions here. One employee asked, how are we supposed to ever feel safe again? Our psychological safety is paramount. Another one asked whether or not they should keep working super hard and does it even matter whether or not we work super hard anymore well a lot of them were working on 
the artificial intelligence programs that will put them out of a job. So they really are turkeys voting for Christmas. Sympathy comes between shit and syphilis in the dictionary, and I have none for them. Absolutely no sympathy. So you heard the last Google employee that we played, the one where she went into the old airport hangar, or airplane hangar, or whatever it was, right? Now, I, yeah, I I'd do. love to have worked there. I, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, because the, the Spruce Goose was the biggest seaplane ever built, wasn't it? Uh huh. It was. Yeah. It, and Howard Hughes, I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of what the guy did in the uh, in the aviation industry. I, I I'm an admirer of the time period that uh, that he was alive. So um, yeah, I would like to see all that memorabilia. And I, I guess sit in a massage chair while I'm there, I suppose. I don't, I don't know. I'm not too fond of the, uh, uh, the cold prepackaged processed tea and the canned coconut water. I don't know what that's all about, but whatever. Well, I mean, for these people now, another man whose initials were HH. Yes, um, that's true. Sort of did, did the, um, did, did the groundwork for them with Playboy, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. Um, yeah. So did, they've still got careers. It just, that is true. It's slightly more tacky. Yes, that is true. And, yes. and um, they'll get a tax break on, on lube and tissues, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's just see how hard this one took it, right? This is the last young lady that we played. How hard this one took it. Was how hard this one took it. No. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Again, Marty, these are six-figure salaries that they got fired from. These were some of their top people, top software engineers, top oh, developers. I couldn't give a monkey. So I, I, I they have been fired with six bigger salaries, <laughs> let, let alone been fired from them. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. We can sit here and we can laugh about that. But anyway, yeah, here it is. Day in my life getting laid off at Google. So I woke up to this really ominous text from my boss and I honestly had no idea what it was going to be about. So I called her the minute I woke up and saw this and she told me to check the news and my email. So I rushed downstairs to find out that I had lost access to basically everything. I couldn't log into my email or even check my calendar. I called my boss back and we just sobbed over the phone because she was also finding out about my layoff for the first time today too. I started getting calls from a bunch of my coworkers and started finding out who else was let go on my team and some neighboring teams as well. But I think the worst part is that it seems like no one was consulted on this decision and everyone was just finding out about the layoffs at the same time. It just felt like a really bad game of Russian roulette and there was no consistency around who was let go. It was also not performance based, so it just felt really random. I opened up LinkedIn, which honestly was not great for my mental health. There were so many people who were in the same boat that were both equally as shocked and blindsided, but it did help me feel a little less alone. Honestly, I spent so much of the day crying that I just felt so tired from being sad and wanted to do something that would just make me feel better. Luckily, I have an annual pass, so I headed over to Disneyland because I wanted to go eat my feelings. So I started off with a cinnamon galaxy churro and then went to the teriyaki turkey leg. This is a special limited edition item for the Lunar New Year celebration at Disney California Adventure. I had some Rice Krispie, a corn dog, did some drawing and even had another churro. I don't really know what's next for me, but I'll be vlogging my journey and posting more content about it. So feel free to follow along. I know see, what's Marty, next. You just unwind. You just go to Disneyland. You see, you just go because you got an annual pass. You just go to Disneyland and you can get some some fried food there and, and treats. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, their entire life seems to uh, evolve around these weird and wonderful woke hipster snacks and beverages. And it's ridiculous. Honestly, uh, to afford those things. They're going to need to get themselves, you know, their their fans-only account reactivated, probably in most cases, so that they don't run out of uh, digital money. Well, the fact that a 23-year-old had a two-story house, could afford one, and then has all these other benefits and everything. Do you know how many times my family went to Disneyland or Disney World? Never. Well, we didn't, because well, we didn't been, afford it. We've been the once. I went, I, I used to go, I, I've been there like three times, in, in Orlando, I've been there like three times when I was a kid, and the only reason is because we had family that lived in the area, and we were able to stay and eat there, otherwise we would not have mm -hmm. been able to afford it, and we got to visit the family while we were down there, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that, that makes sense, but basically what I'm getting at is, I don't see what the problem is. What are you complaining about? There's people in the US that make far less money than you do, and live happy, complete lives, full fulfilling lives. And yet you're complaining about being 23 and losing your job. Uh, well, to be fair, life expectancy life. isn't three score years and 10 anymore, is it? 
died suddenly is, yeah, that's is the new expectancy. That's fair. So, yeah, it, that very well could be that they could have worked their majority of their life at that uh, Google or or uh, Facebook or, you know, one of these. Uh, to be honest, they've they've worked for a few minutes, haven't they? I mean, what yeah, age do haven't you... Actually, they, I haven't seen any of them to actually do any work in there. If they're, if they're only coming out of college, university, whatever you'd mm. like to call it, with a bachelor's, what's that, three years? Four. Four, so they're 22 years old. This is my point so they, that I like, th- like these a people, year maybe. Yeah, they, these people. I mean, th- this is my point: is they come out of these universities and they go into these jobs that are going to make them redundant. They're unemployable. They can't do anything. How would you hire any of these people? They can't do anything. Well, I, be, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hire any of those people under any circumstances. No, I wouldn't either. It, to be fair, it also depends on what skill set they have. Like, if they're like a, a software engineer it, or something of that effect. You could hire them in other jobs like that in that unit that, okay. that world fair. that they have. Yeah, fair. But yeah. you would if have to deprogram them. That's because the they, they, you know, yeah, because they they they're so entitled. They they feel like they deserve those things. Um, Tell you what we should do. Well, they've been told I, honestly, they deserve them. I'll share this. I'll share this with the listeners because somebody might might pick up on the idea. I cannot be bothered. Actually, I've I've, I've reached the end of my tether as far as trying to help these kind of people. But someone should should do a de entitlement boot camp. Just get these eighteen thousand useless people and charge them uh, their redundancy package to re-educate them, to um, give them some actual life skills. You're, you're assuming they got a redundancy package? Oh, of course they they they, they would have had to. But maybe in a foreign matter. country, not in America, they can just kick you loose. They don't have the job security well, in the US. This is this is something that I feel very privileged about within you know my work history is that apart from maybe one company, I've always worked for people who have abided by the rules. But okay. if you De- if you want to keep a job, what'd you call it? Deprogramming camp? What what'd you a, call a, it? A boot camp. Yeah. Yeah, but did, was it a de- base, base, de- a re-education? Re-education. <laughs> we can't re- use that term, Marty. And a de-entitlement boot camp. A so, de-entitlement so they, boot camp. Yeah, yeah. So they don't they 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 get disabused of the idea that the world owes them a living because the world doesn't owe anyone a living. You have to hack that out for yourself. And they thought they'd made it. They thought they'd made it, but they have been well. They, they did a deal with the devil basically, to sort of um, put an analogy to it. They've done a deal with the devil. Big tech is the devil. It is so powerful only if you let it be. If you let the modern internet distractions addle your brain the way so many people have done, then it's got power. But if you decide to stop, then suddenly it's powerless. It's like holding that crucifix in front of a vampire. You can stop them in their tracks. You got any final thoughts? Well, my final thought at the moment is, as I explained earlier on, I do have a bit of a cold and my nose is very sore. I don't know if, well, you won't have heard me sneeze because every time I've done it, I've muted myself. I can't be doing with that, that whole thing up the nose. Because of all the times my nose has been broken, only one side works anyway. I can't believe Um, somebody actually was able to break your nose. Well, you have enough fights, it happens. Where was I going with that? I've lost it. <laughs> you had a cold. Yeah, you got a cold and yeah, yeah, yeah you got yeah. your stuff nose. So you're probably ready to pack it in for the night and uh and head inside yeah, for a nice I'm, hot cup. I'm going to I'm going to have to go and put some kind of moisturizer on my nose cuz it is definitely very sore. But yes, yeah, sneezing. Now, my grandmother had a powerful sneeze. You could hear it down the street. I'd be walking home from school and my grandmother would sneeze and I'd hear it. In actual fact, the way we sneeze, all of us, is an affectation. We don't need to make the noise as we do. But I've turned mine into a mixture of a, of a war cry and ki. You know, the, the noise that martial artists make when they're punching or kicking, yeah. the, 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 the yeah. ki, it's there to focus the power and to exhale as well, so that if you get counter-punched, you don't get winded. And to put fear into the enemy as well. So I've been sneezing like that all day and I need to go and just make sure my neighbours haven't complained about it because it's been pretty loud. But yeah, 
I, I have no sensible final thoughts for today, so I shall stop there. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I just want to point out that we call that here in this part of the country the dad sneeze. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got that. I have got the dad sneeze. Yep. Um, but when I was a soldier, I was very young when I was a soldier, and I had a bad cough and cold, and my platoon commander decided that I was not to go out on this reconnaissance. It was on exercise. It wasn't It wasn't a real war or anything, because I would give away my section's position. And as it happens, um, the enemy, who just happened to be uh, two, three special air service, territorial army, special forces. Um, With sharp knives, came, I'm sure. Well, he, he appeared in this uh, window of the barn that I was sleeping in while the rest of my section were out on patrol. Um, and he was a, one story up and he leapt down, ran across the floor, kicked me in the guts while I'm still in my sleeping bag, trying to get the zip undone so I could get my rifle out and said, you're dead, shut the f*** up. Sorry, another beep. So having a cold doesn't always mean that you you get a restful night if someone's going to give you the day off or whatever. Sometimes you get kicked in the guts by special forces. Well, we thank you for taking the opportunity to to spend your evening with us, uh, and we hope that you feel better by next week. Thank you very much. Very kind. I'm sure I will. So that'll do it for us for today and for this week. Bruce, thank you for being here this evening. Thank you for being here, Marty. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a fantastic evening.